vast circular plain, the floor of the giant crater. Its cliff-like walls closed us in on every side, in the west. Divers trudge like burned beetles towards the ocean. Obsession burst forth unbidden. In the west, the light of the unseen sun fell upon them, and they stood out clear and dazzling against the blackness. To the east, the thrums of refrigerator motors and air conditioning units freely approached strangers. Beyond two doors were heaped rocks lapped by the sea, chips of ice clicking and clattering as the swell sucked in and out. To the east, in the absolute raven darkness of the cliff shadow, innumerable rounded hummocks of a snowy substance stretched into the remote obscurity. A sudden cry, a kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors, climbing slowly out of the water, bright red blood dripping from a ripped left flipper. A reek of grey vapour began pouring upward from the crater floor until at last the monster closed us in on every side and moved his head this way and that as though he was surveying the crater. My upturned feet poked from beneath the stiff black brush of tail feathers, puncturing my chest and back, silent, firmly clasped across the lean knees Tossed and swept in the back suck of swell, I clamber ashore, scramble up rocks, slipping, clawing. My feet, the interface between upright and solid surface, taking the action. Cavour was steaming. He seemed a trivial being, like a wet handkerchief held before the fire. His head was hidden by his enormous many-spiked helmet and a pair of goggles of darkened glass. He was wearing garments of some leathery substance. He pointed to the almost brainless head, with its fat-encumbered neck, its slobbering, omnivorous mouth, its tight-shut eyes. But the underneath of my foot is not calloused or rough. It is velvety smooth, a kind of private pink. The skin, entirely soft. We humans don't have political agendas. The brow of the monster stretched into the remote obscurity. I looked at him and realized that we were both intoxicated. What fools we've been, I said. All animals on land are transient. Getting through the mighty southern ocean to meet the ice, diving streamlined into the water. However many times I've done it, the heart lifts. Somehow, that means arriving. Strange reddish shapes, tongues of vermilion flame writhed and danced. Steadily came a thin edge of intolerable effulgence that became a bow and then a blazing scepter and hurled a shaft of heat at us. From that point, my memory becomes confused. Off they go, off they go, madly searching high and low and following the latest clue. Thank you. 
obsession had a great grip on my imagination in the beauty of the early summer pack ice, wrinkled fields of sparkling white, and finally to set foot on the continent with, looming along the horizon, the inland ice sheet, that stupendous bank vault of pure fresh water. Cavour's back vanished amidst the bristling thicket, and as I scrambled up after him, the monstrous valve came into its position with a clang. It seemed to stab my eyes. I cried aloud and turned about blinded. Then came the first sound that had reached us from without since we left the earth. A hissing and rustling. Crisp, dry snow beneath my boots, the light brilliant, searing, standing upright, head positioned directly above shoulders and backbone, short legs walking. I opened my eyes and had a momentary glimpse of the air just outside our glass. It was boiling. What had been solid air had suddenly, at the touch of the sun, hissed and bubbled into gas. The class-conscious British were endlessly comical, surrogate humans. The British were endowed with the status of aristocrats, funny, cheeky, inquisitive, infinitely patronisable. They waddled. Dressed in their dinner jackets, the British had a particularly droll dimension. Working-class gents in upper-class dress. Argumentative, sly, industrious or lazy, they fought and quarrelled, they stole shamelessly, they made love and were unfaithful. I felt my head swim. Essence discovery before, secondary to the tato. What do you mean, discovery of the moon, secondary to the tato? What fools we've been. Even better, they lived in communities, functioning clearly as families. Aggressive, protective father, with demure nest-sitting Mrs. Raising the Children. But of course there were boundaries. The British, humans and their animals were dangerous new neighbours. Bloodied bodies lay scattered across the snow, destroyed by dogs. Killed as scientific specimens, their skins prepared for museums. And in a land with few trophies and mementos, the British could be skinned and sent home to a taxidermist to be stuffed, arranged in a glass case with a few rocks, some dried lichen and a couple of eggs. Clutching at one another, we spun about, pitched this way and that, faster and faster, leaping crevasses into the white-hot boiling tumult of the lunar day. And we fell very mercifully. However companionable and entertaining, the British were fresh meat. The British yielded two delicious breast steaks. Fricasseed or in a stew, their flesh was considered as good as beef. Fresh meat was thought to help ward off scurvy, and if necessary, British could be used for lamps and cooking. Cavour peered through the glass. Good Lord! What has happened? We are lying on a thing, I said. Slaughtering wasn't easy. They are such friendly brutes. They come round to inspect our tent and stores, and seeing us, they come up for yarn and are promptly smitten on the head with a large club. It was necessary to really bash the British skulls, otherwise, coming back, you'd find them staggering about. But necessity demanded massacre, an ice larder packed with frozen little bodies for the winter. And in summer, there was always the joy of fresh British. Everywhere, broad, rusty brown spaces of bare and tumbled earth spread to the blaze of the sun, I said, and scattered here and there upon the slope were shapes like dry, twisted sticks, I said. It was a chastening and educative experience, enough to make me more considerate of their feelings in the future. 
The doctor, Murray Levitt, studied and wrote about what he called the British social habits, proximity and shared space bringing awareness. Nevertheless, on Christmas Day, having carried their gramophone outside to play records, the six men tucked into deceased British, delicately fried. I came into a sitting position, crawled away from the edge for a space on all fours, then staggered up and ran after him across the thundering, quivering sheet of metal. It seemed to be swinging open with a steadily accelerated velocity, and the bushes in front of me shifted sideways as I ran. Bill handed me a small grey stone with a seductive dark patina, curiously silky to touch. One March day, Bill said, back in 1990, out on one of the islands, a rare rainstorm had formed narrow paths, tracks leading to every gleaming stone on those narrow paths, century after century. But now, rain was no longer rare. Too much snow fell, too wet at the wrong times. Then, something arrested my attention, a number of little round objects, and it seemed to me that one of these had moved. Cavor, I whispered, I gripped his arm, I pointed. Look, there, yes, a thing. And there, murmured Cavor. I stroked the silky, shiny surface of the stone, smoothed by the padding steps of countless thousands of British, by those soft, velvety smooth pink underneath of small British feet no longer. It still haunts me in my dreams, and they think I'm going to crawl about on my stomach. His eyes followed my pointing finger. The little ovals that might have passed as very small pebbles had moved. First one, and then another, had rolled over and cracked, and down the crack of each showed a minute line of yellowish green thrusting outward to meet the newly risen sun. This vast land to the south, this extraordinary one-tenth of our Earth's surface, is woven into my thinking, my inner eye, my being. The unknown land had entered our souls. It would mark us forever. I heard Cavour whisper very softly. <laughs> Soon we heard the bellow of the monster change abruptly into a short, sharp squeal. Gradually, the bellowing receded, and then came to an end. A thing. It wasn't unlike a mushroom. The first impression was its enormous size. Don't. I'll chance it. I stuffed my mouth full. It came hot and moist. It's good, I said. In a few minutes, all the slope that had seemed so recently a lifeless stretch of litter was now dark with the olive-green herbage that swayed with the vigour of their growing. We turned to each other, I whispered, the same thought, the same question in our eyes. Sex. I experienced a, a peculiar shortness of breath. Everything is vague. My next clear recollection is that I plunged a thing suddenly. We were in darkness amidst strange, distracting noises. Our bodies were covered with scratches and bruises and our heads racked with pain. I whispered, well, shall we go on? I whispered. By way of answer, I went on screwing. Now that I have the chance to look, to touch, obsession burst forth unbidden. It doesn't distress your lungs too much, said Cavour. No, I can stand this. Boom. 
I whispered. Boom. Boom. I'd stood completely still on the snow, stroking the underneath just outside, chips of ice clicking and clattering as the swell sucked in and out. A sudden cry, a kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors, climbing slowly out of the water, bright red blood dripping from a ripped left flipper. We began to tingle at the lips and fingers. A thing. As one swallowed it, it warmed the throat. Cavour thrust himself forward. At last, the edges of the slot scraped me off and hurled me into its depths. Boom. 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 My upturned feet poke from beneath the stiff black brush of tail feathers, puncturing my chest and back, silent, firmly clasped across the lean knees. Tossed and swept in the back suck of swell, I clamber ashore, scramble up rocks, slipping, clawing. My feet, the interface between upright and solid surface, taking the action. But the underneath of my foot is not calloused or rough. It is velvety smooth, a kind of private pink. The skin entirely soft. I lifted the circular lid and tripped and fell headlong, dropped the intervening inches and stood upon the untrodden soil of the moon. However many times I've done it, the heart lifts. Somehow that means arriving. Obsession. He stood for a moment looking this way and that. Then he drew himself together and leapt. At one bound, he became remote. He seemed twenty or thirty feet off. He made three vast strides and leapt badly, made a series of somersaults in the air, whirled right over them and vanished with an enormous splash amidst cactus bladders. Runkled fields of sparkling white looming along the horizon. Crisp, dry snow. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Looming along the horizon. The light, brilliant. Searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp. Dry snow. The light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans.
I made a step to follow Cavour. He was standing high upon a rocky mass and gesticulating back to me. Puzzled, I too dropped through the manhole, stood up, and jumped. I found myself flying through the air, saw the rock on which he stood coming to meet me, clutched it and clung in a state of infinite amazement. Cavour suggested that we practice how to leap on the moon without hurting ourselves. We jumped to and fro several times. I know we stopped crawling and started forth into the sunshine and almost immediately came upon the lunar plants with a sort of fury. And all this time, the lunar plants were growing around us, higher and denser and more entangled every moment, thicker and taller. But we were so intent upon our leaping that for a time we gave no heed to their unfaltering expansion. And then came a thought into my head. Cavour, by the way, where exactly is the sphere? Suddenly, Cavour too began to tear off huge mouthfuls he stood up and stared about him at the scrub that fenced us in and rose about us, straining upward in a passion of growth. Somewhere, buried among this tangled confusion, was nothing. I had turned my head to look at Cavour's face and thrust out my hand in front of me as I did so, and my hand met a bottomless hole, our home our only hope. And then we became aware, for the first time, of a sound from beneath our feet. No sound that I can imagine could have astonished us more. Cavour, what is it? What can it be? When the striking ceased, the silence came as a fresh shock, and then, stabbing the aching stillness, as vivid and sudden as an unexpected thunderclap, came a clang and rattle as though great gates of metal had suddenly been flung apart. We stood, gaping. We must crawl, said Cavour. We thrust our way in among the thickening stems. At the heart of the thicket, I stopped and stared, panting into Cavour's face. Subterranean, he whispered. And there? They may come out, I said. We must find the sphere. Bloodied bodies lay scattered across the snow, killed as scientific specimens, their skins prepared for museums. We peered this way and that. Then we began to crawl through the lower jungle, intent only on the sphere from which we had so foolishly emerged. Ever and again from out of the earth beneath us came concussions, beatings, strange, inexplicable, mechanical sounds. And we two poor terrestrial castaways, lost in that wild-growing moon jungle, crawled in terror before the sounds that had come upon us. We crawled, as it seemed, a long time before we saw bellowing and grunts continually drawing nearer to us. Our first view was but an inadequate transitory glimpse, yet nonetheless disturbing. 
Cavour was crawling in front at the time. He stopped dead. A crackling and smashing of the scrub appeared to be advancing directly upon us. Then came a terrific bellow, and one felt breath. Turning about, we saw, through a crowd of swaying stems, the moon calves screwing. Perhaps two hundred. Six. We had a glimpse of a vast red pit as it opened its mouth to bleat and bellow again. And then the monster wallowed past us, smashing a path amidst the scrub, and was speedily hidden from our eyes. Another appeared more distantly, and then another, and then the monster came. This is Rediffusion, London's television. Now it's time for our visit to professional wrestling. We remained motionless and peering long after he had passed out of our range. By contrast with the moon calves, he seemed a mere ant, scarcely five feet high. He carried himself upon short legs, wrapped in warm coverings. Runkled fields of sparkling white looming along the horizon. Crisp dry snow. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp dry snow. Looming along the horizon. The light brilliant. Searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp dry snow. Light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Looming along the horizon. Light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans.
looming along the horizon. Wrinkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp dry snow. The light brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. In spite of his heavy-looking clothing, he was progressing with what would be, from the terrestrial point of view, very considerable strides. We resumed our crawling search for the vanished thing. He stood on a promontory of rock. We lay quite still, fearing to attract his attention if we moved. And after a time, he turned about and disappeared. At that instant came a thud, like the thud of a gun, and then... My chest hit something hard, and I found myself with my chin on the edge of an unfathomable abyss that had suddenly opened beneath me. My hand extended stiffly into the void. The whole of that flat circular area was no more than a gigantic lid that was now sliding sideways from off the pit it had covered into a slot prepared for it. But Cavour had not received the shock that had paralysed me. He had been a little distance from the edge when the lid had first opened, and, perceiving the peril that held me helpless, gripped my legs and pulled me backward. I looked at him and realised that we were both intoxicated. We could see nothing at first except smooth vertical walls descending at last into an impenetrable black, and then, very gradually, we became aware of a number of very faint lights going to and fro. As we grew more accustomed to the darkness, we could make out very small, dim, elusive shapes moving about among those needle-point illuminations. Cavour, I said. Can they be subterranean men? We must get back to the sphere, he said. We began crawling. Soon we came to flat places overgrown with fleshy red things. As we pushed against them, they snapped. I picked up a fragment and sniffed at it. I tried to whisper, but I was too dry to whisper. What fools we've been, I said. Now that I had the chance to look, to touch, a sudden cry, a kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors, climbing slowly out of the water, bright red blood dripping from a ripped left flipper. silent, firmly clasped, tossed and swept in the back suck of swell. I clamber ashore, scramble up rocks, slipping, clawing, the interface between upright and solid surface, but velvety smooth, a kind of private skin, entirely soft, transient, streamlined, 
obsession. Curiously silky to touch. No longer. My inner eye. My being forever. So what do you rock? Go off with a will to meet their friend Mr. Benjamin Hill. They get to the station and hear the clock chime. And would you believe it? The train was on time. Wow! We were in a vast circular plain, the floor of the giant crater. Its cliff-like walls closed us in on every side, in the west. Divers trudge like burned beetles towards the ocean. Obsession burst forth, unbidden. In the west, the light of the unseen sun fell upon them, and they stood out clear and dazzling against the blackness. To the east, the thrums of refrigerator motors and air conditioning units freely approach strangers beyond two doors where heaped rocks lapped by the sea, chips of ice clicking and clattering as the swells sucked in and out. To the east, in the absolute raven darkness of the cliff shadow, innumerable rounded hummocks of a snowy substance stretched into the remote obscurity. A sudden cry, a kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors climbing slowly out of the water, bright red blood dripping from a ripped left flipper. A reek of grey vapour began pouring upward from the crater floor until at last the monster closed us in on every side and moved his head this way and that as though he was surveying the crater. My upturned feet poked from beneath the stiff black brush of tail feathers, puncturing my chest and back, silent, firmly clasped across the lean knees. Tossed and swept in the back suck of swell, I clamber ashore, scramble up rocks, slipping, clawing. My feet, the interface between upright and solid surface, taking the action. Cavour was steaming. He seemed a trivial being, like a wet handkerchief held before the fire. His head was hidden by his enormous many-spiked helmet and a pair of goggles of darkened glass. He was wearing garments of some leathery substance. He pointed to the almost brainless head with its fat-encumbered neck, its slobbering, omnivorous mouth, its tight-shut eyes. But the underneath of my foot is not calloused or rough. It is velvety smooth, a kind of private pink. The skin entirely soft. We humans don't have political agendas. The brow of the monster stretched into the remote obscurity. I looked at him and realized that we were both intoxicated. What fools we've been, I said. All animals on land are transient. Getting through the mighty southern ocean to meet the ice, diving streamlined into the water. However many times I've done it, the heart lifts. Somehow, that means arriving. Strange reddish shapes, tongues of vermilion flame writhed and danced. Steadily came a thin edge of intolerable effulgence that became a bow and then a blazing scepter and hurled a shaft of heat at us. From that point, my memory becomes confused. Obsession had a great grip on my imagination in the beauty of the early summer pack ice, wrinkled fields of sparkling white, then finally to set foot on the continent 
with looming along the horizon the inland ice sheet, that stupendous bank vault of pure fresh water. Kobo's back vanished amidst the bristling thicket, and as I scrambled up after him, the monstrous valve came into its position with a clang. It seemed to stab my eyes. I cried aloud and turned about blinded. Then came the first sound that had reached us from without since we left the earth, hissing and rustling. Crisp, dry snow beneath my boots, light, brilliant, searing, standing upright, head positioned directly above shoulders and backbone, short legs walking. I opened my eyes and had a momentary glimpse of the air just outside our glass. It was boiling. What had been solid air had suddenly, at the touch of the sun, hissed and bubbled into gas. The class-conscious British were endlessly comical. Surrogate humans. The British were endowed with the status of aristocrats. Funny, cheeky, inquisitive, infinitely patronizable. They waddled. Dressed in their dinner jackets, the British had a particularly droll dimension. Working-class gents in upper-class dress. Argumentative, sly, industrious or lazy, they fought and quarreled. They stole shamelessly. They made love and were unfaithful. I felt my head swim. Excellent discovery of war. Secondary of the Tato. What do you mean? Discovery of the moon? Secondary of the Tato? What fools we've been. Even better, they lived in communities, functioning clearly as families. Aggressive, protective father with demure nest-sitting Mrs. Raising the Children. But of course there were boundaries. The British, humans and their animals were dangerous new neighbours. Bloodied bodies lay scattered across the snow, destroyed by dogs. Killed as scientific specimens, their skins prepared for museums. And in a land with few trophies and mementos, the British could be skinned and sent home to a taxidermist to be stuffed, arranged in a glass case with a few rocks, some dried lichen and a couple of eggs. Clutching at one another, we spun about, pitched this way and that, faster and faster, leaping crevasses into the white-hot boiling tumult of the lunar day. And we fell very mercifully. However companionable and entertaining, the British were fresh meat. The British yielded two delicious breast steaks. Fricasseed or in a stew, their flesh was considered as good as beef. Fresh meat was thought to help ward off scurvy. And if necessary, British could be used for lamps and cooking. Cavour peered through the glass. Good Lord. What has happened? We are lying on a thing. Slaughtering wasn't easy. They are such friendly brutes. They come round to inspect our tent and stores, and seeing us, they come up for yarn and are promptly smitten on the head with a large club. It was necessary to really bash the British skulls, otherwise, coming back, you'd find them staggering about. But necessity demanded massacre. An ice larder packed with frozen little bodies for the winter. And in summer, there was always the joy of fresh British. Everywhere, broad, rusty brown spaces of bare and tumbled earth spread to the blaze of the sun, I said. And scattered here and there upon the slope were shapes like dry, twisted sticks, I said. It was a chastening and educative experience, enough to make me more considerate of their feelings in the future. The doctor, Murray Levitt, studied and wrote about what he called the British social habits. 
proximity and shared space bringing awareness. Nevertheless, on Christmas Day, having carried their gramophone outside to call records, the six men tucked into deceased British delicately fried. I came into a sitting position, crawled away from the edge for a space on all fours, then staggered up and ran after him across the thundering, quivering sheet of metal. It seemed to be swinging open with a steadily accelerated velocity, and the bushes in front of me shifted sideways as I ran. Bill handed me a small grey stone with a seductive dark patina, curiously silky to touch. One March day, Bill said, back in 1990, out on one of the islands, a rare rainstorm had formed narrow paths, tracks leading to every gleaming stone on those narrow paths, century after century. The British were but now, rain was the no longer rare. Too, too much snow fell, too wet Fricasseed at the wrong the times. Their flesh was then, something arrested my attention, fresh a number of little round objects, and it seemed scurvy. to me that one and of these had moved, could be used I whispered, I gripped his arm, I pointed, look, there, yes, a thing, What has happened, murmured Cavall. I stroked the silky, shiny surface of stone. Slaughtering smoothed by the padding there steps of countless roots. thousands of they British, come to inspect by those soft, balls, velvety smooth pink underneath of small British feet, on the head with a large club. no longer. It was necessary it still to really bash me in my British skulls. Otherwise, they think I'm back, going to crawl about on my stomach. But His eyes followed my pointing finger. The little ovals that might have passed as very small pebbles had moved. And then another had rolled over and cracked, and down the crack of each showed a minute line of layers of the sun, thrusting outward to meet the newly risen sun. This vast land of the south, this extraordinary one-tenth of our Earth's surface, is woven into my thinking, my inner eye, my being. The unknown land had entered our about It would mark us forever. I heard Cavour whisper, very softly, Soon, we heard the bellow of the monster change abruptly into a short, sharp squeak. Gradually, the bellowing receded. Then came to an end. A thin. It wasn't unlike. Then a mush staggered up and ran after. The first impression was its enormous size. I'll chance it. I stuffed my mouth full. It came hot and moist. Bill handed me a small waistcoat. In a few minutes, all the slope that had seemed so recently a lifeless stretch of litter was now dark with the olive green herbage that swayed with the vigour of their growth. We turned to each other, I whispered, the same thought, the same question in our eyes. I experienced a peculiar shortness of breath. Everything then is something arrested my attention. Next clear recollection is that plummets seemed to me a thing suddenly moved. We were in darkness. I missed strange, distracting noises. Our bodies were covered with scratches and bruises, and my ears racked with pain. I stroked the silky, shiny surface of the stone. Smoothed by the heading steps of countless thousands of By way of answer, I went on screwing. Velvety smooth pink underneath. It doesn't distress your lungs too much, said Gavon. No, I can stand this. And they think I'm going to whisper about my stomach. His eyes followed. We began to tingle at the lips and fingers. The little oval things that might have passed as very small. As one swallowed it, it warmed the throat. 
Kavor thrust himself forward, had rolled over the edges of the slot, and down the crack of me off showed and hurled me into its depths. thrusting out to meet the newly risen sun. This vast land in circular this extraordinary one tenth of our Earth's surface is dropped the intervening ages and stood upon the untrodden soil of the unknown land. Had entered our souls, looking this way Then he drew himself together. I heard Kavor whisper. Very softly, At one bound, he became remote. Soon, he we heard the bellow of a monster feet abruptly off. into a short, made three sharp vast squeak. strides and leapt gradually. Badly. Made the a series of somersaults in the air, and then came to right end. over them and vanished with an enormous splash amidst it cactus wasn't unlike I made a step to follow Cavour. The first impression he was, was high upon a rocky mass and gesticulating back to me. I'll chance Puzzled, it. I to my mouth, dropped forward. through the manhole, it stood up, hot and jumped moist. I found myself good, flying I through the air. In a few minutes, saw the rock all the slopes stood that had seemed so recently clutched a little stretch in a state of was now dark. With the olive suggested that we practiced swayed with the vigor of their growing. We jumped to and fro to each other. I whispered, I know the same thought, the same question in our eyes, and almost immediately came upon me. I experienced a peculiar shortness of breath. Every lunar plant is growing. My next clear recollection is that we plunged a thin tangle suddenly thicker. We were in darkness. We were so leapish, distracting noises. Our bodies were covered with scratches and bruises, and our heads racked with pain. I whispered, by the way, where shall we go on? Is the whispered. By way of answer, I went on screwing. Now that I had the chance to look, he stood up and stared about him at the scrub that fenced us in and rose about us, straining upward in a passion. It doesn't distress your lungs too much, buried said Kavor. No, I can stand this. I had turned my head to look at Kavor's face. Boom. Thrust out my hand in front as I did so. And my hand I'd stood gottering a stone on the snow, stroking the underneath only just outside. And then we became Chips of ice clicking and clattering as the swell sucked in and out. Beneath our feet. A sudden cry, a no kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors, climbing slowly out of the water. What could it be? Bright red blood dripping when the strike from the ceased, left the silence We began to tingle at the lips and, and fingers. A thing. Stillness, as as one swallowed it, it warmed the throat. Cavour thrust himself forward. At last, the edges of the slot scraped me off and hurled me into its depths. Boom. Gaping. Boom. Boom. My upturned feet poke from beneath the, the stiff black brush of tail feathers, puncturing my chest and back, silent, firmly clasped across the lean knees. Tossed and swept in the back suck of swell, I clamber ashore, scramble up rocks, slipping, clawing. My feet, the interface between upright and solid surface, taking the action. But the underneath of my foot is not calloused or rough. It is velvety smooth, a kind of private pink. The skin entirely soft. I lifted the circular lid and tripped and fell headlong, dropped the intervening inches and stood upon the untrodden soil of the moon. However many times I've done it, the heart lifts. Somehow, 
That means arriving. Obsession. He stood for a moment looking this way and that. Then he drew himself together and leapt. At one bound, he became remote. He seemed 20 or 30 feet off. He made three vast strides and leapt badly, made a series of somersaults in the air, whirled right over them and vanished with an enormous splash amidst cactus bladders. Runkled fields of sparkling white looming along the horizon. Crisp, dry snow. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Looming along the horizon. The light, brilliant. Searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp. Dry snow. The light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. I made a step to follow Cavour. He was standing high upon a rocky mass and gesticulating back to me. Puzzled, I too dropped through the manhole, stood up and jumped. I found myself flying through the air, saw the rock on which he stood coming to meet me, clutched it and clung in a state of infinite amazement. Cavour suggested that we practice how to leap on the moon without hurting ourselves. We jumped to and fro several times. I know we stopped crawling and started forth into the sunshine and almost immediately came upon the lunar plants with a sort of fury. And all this time, the lunar plants were growing around us, higher and denser and more entangled every moment, thicker and taller. But we were so intent upon our leaping that for a time we gave no heed to their unfaltering expansion. And then came a thought into my head. Cavour, by the way, where exactly is the sphere? Suddenly, Cavour too began to tear off huge mouthfuls he stood up and stared about him at the scrub that fenced us in and rose about us, straining upward in a passion of growth. Somewhere, buried among this tangled confusion, was nothing. I had turned my head to look at Cavour's face. 
and thrust out my hand in front of me as I did so, and my hand met a bottomless hole. Our home, our only hope. And then we became aware, for the first time, of a sound from beneath our feet. No sound that I can imagine could have astonished us more. Cavour, what is it? What can it be? When the striking ceased, the silence came as a fresh shock, and then, stabbing the aching stillness, as vivid and sudden as an unexpected thunderclap, came a clang and rattle as though great gates of metal had suddenly been flung apart. We stood, gaping. We must crawl, said Cavour. We thrust our way in among the thickening stems. At the heart of the thicket, I stopped and stared, panting into Cavour's face. Subterranean, he whispered. And there? They may come out, I said. We must find the sphere. Bloodied bodies lay scattered across the snow, killed as scientific specimens, their skins prepared for museums. We peered this way and that. Then we began to crawl through the lower jungle, intent only on the sphere from which we had so foolishly emerged. Ever and again from out of the earth beneath us came concussions, beatings, strange, inexplicable, mechanical sounds, and we two poor terrestrial castaways, lost in that wild-growing moon jungle, crawled in terror before the sounds that had come upon us. We crawled, as it seemed, a long time before we saw bellowing and grunts continually drawing nearer to us. Our first view was but an inadequate transitory glimpse, yet nonetheless disturbing. Cavour was crawling in front at the time. He stopped dead. A crackling and smashing of the scrub appeared to be advancing directly upon us. Then came a terrific bellow, and one felt breath. Turning about, we saw, through a crowd of swaying stems, the moon calves screwing. Perhaps two hundred. Six. We had a glimpse of a vast red pit as it opened its mouth to bleat and bellow again. And then the monster wallowed past us, smashing a path amidst the scrub, and was speedily hidden from our eyes. Another appeared more distantly, and then another, and then the monster came. is Rediffusion, London's television. Now it's time for our visit to professional wrestling. We remained motionless and peering long after he had passed out of our range. By contrast with the moon calves, he seemed a mere ant, scarcely five feet high. He carried himself upon short legs, wrapped in warm coverings. 
Runkled fields of sparkling white looming along the horizon. Crisp, dry snow. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Looming along the horizon. The light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Looming along the horizon. Light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Runkled fields of sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Light, brilliant, searing. Surrogate Dry snow looming along the horizon. Light, brilliant, searing. Sparkling white. Surrogate human. Looming along the horizon. Sparkling white. Crisp, dry snow. Crisp, dry snow. 
light brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Dry snow looming along the horizon. Light brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. Looming along the horizon. Wrinkled fields, crisp dry snow, light brilliant, searing. Surrogate humans. In spite of his heavy-looking clothing, he was progressing with what would be, from the terrestrial point of view, very considerable strides. We resumed our crawling search for the vanished thing. He stood on a promontory of rock. We lay quite still fearing to attract his attention if we moved. And after a time, he turned about and disappeared. At that instant came a thud, like the thud of a gun. And then my chest hit something hard, and I found myself with my chin on the edge of an unfathomable abyss that had suddenly opened beneath me. My hand extended stiffly into the void. The whole of that flat circular area was no more than a gigantic lid that was now sliding sideways from off the pit it had covered into a slot prepared for it. But Cavour had not received the shock that had paralyzed me. He had been a little distance from the edge when the lid had first opened, and perceiving the peril that held me helpless, gripped my legs and pulled me backward. I looked at him and realized that we were both intoxicated. We could see nothing at first except smooth vertical walls descending at last into an impenetrable black. And then, very gradually, we became aware of a number of very faint lights going to and fro. As we grew more accustomed to the darkness, we could make out very small, dim, elusive shapes moving about among those needle-point illuminations. Cavour, I said. Can they be... Subterranean men. We must get back to the sphere, he said. We began crawling. Soon we came to flat places overgrown with fleshy red things. As we pushed against them, they snapped. I picked up a fragment and sniffed at it. I tried to whisper, but I was too dry to whisper. What fools we've been, I said. Now that I had the chance to look, to touch... A sudden cry, a kind of mournful honk, and I was through the doors, climbing slowly out of the water, bright red blood dripping from a ripped left flipper. <laughs> 